0: Welcome to the Round Six Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories. Hosted by the Round Six Gearheads Brian Stubsky, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. Here on episode 39, the GearHeads get all topical and discuss protecting your art, intellectual property, and copyright law with Carson Lev and Dell Swanson.
1: It just gets better. <laughs> I'm just surprised you didn't hear the ball bouncing.
2: Right. That's the uh, oldest gag in the world
1: oh jeez! <laughs> you guys gotta step up and get in the gutter <laughs> oh,
2: no. well,
0: uh, well with, the, with that said you know that is something you could find on the internet because um, <laughs> it's free <laughs> well on some sites sure. uh <laughs> crap That's oh, German. Uh, hey didn't see you come in uh welcome to the podcast uh, i'm brian I'm Brad. I'm Alex. I'm Dell. I'm Carson. And uh we are gonna sit down tonight, kids, and go over something that has been a, a very hot topic over on the uh in Facebook world, especially lately. Uh intellectual property, copyright, and uh just general buttfuckery stealing of people's <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. You know what? We're going to start this one right off because if if you're taking the stuff, yeah, you're you're part of that description. Um I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I I'm, I'm sure that uh Carson Lev who is with us tonight, thank you, sir. Uh I'm sure that he will explain it in a much more um professional <laughs> light than I would.
3: I may not use the same terminology that you do, but I'll try to get my point across.
0: Thank you, sir. Yeah. That's why it's good to have, it's it's good to have, Carson is the voice of reason in this. Uh.
3: <laughs> God,
2: don't, no one has ever said that out loud. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and back with us tonight, before I get too far into this, uh, good to have Dell back with us tonight. Welcome again, yes. sir. Thank you. God, we've yeah, missed you, a, man. I
1: was on a world, a world tour down by Peru and a yeah, swing through uh, Ireland and all that. So, yeah, I'm back. Ah.
3: That is a real world
0: tour from Peru oh, to yeah. Ireland. That's a... Yeah. Well, if you're well, a Peruvian that... Viking, you have a long <laughs> way to go to trace your roots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All by ship. We mm-hmm. plant them deep. We rode.
1: We rode the whole way.
0: It was not <laughs> fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so but the be pillaging great if we could have nice. gotten them on as a sponsor. Hey, speaking mm. of road... <laughs>
1: the pillaging was nice, though. So, you know, we got that.
0: No Outstanding.
1: I got some nice trinkets.
0: Outstanding. You people do it different, though. You you, you rap and pillage, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're right. Yeah. I'm the, <laughs> I'm, I'm the rapping Peruvian Viking.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah you guys, you know, known for your rhyming. <laughs> known for their mad rhymes. Yeah. And Limerick's. good times. There oh, it is. There There you go. Writes itself. So, a- anyway... um. Uh, gosh, guys, a a big problem that, uh, we face, especially from the art side and the design side in this wonderful world of, uh, automobiles and even beyond that is, uh, is copyright trademark and intellectual property rights. And if you're not protecting yourself, well, you're, you're really getting screwed out there, uh, in, in more ways than one. And the sad part is, the way things work today, if you don't have your work online and you're not making it, you know, you're not presenting it somewhere and keeping it in the public eye, nobody knows who the heck you are. And on the flip side of that, if you are putting it out there, the risks are, can, you know, they're exponential. The longer it's out there, that somebody's going to pick it up, steal that work and use it for their own purposes or resell it Mm -hmm. Dell. You're no stranger to that stuff, man.
1: Yeah yeah i've I have a uh, uh, there's there's a there's uh, this one in particular that that is um, all over the world actually it, it, uh, um, it's it, it, it's in sticker packs with uh, with uh, harley stickers that've been bootlegged and on Amazon right now and it's just very extremely frustrating because if i you know had uh, gotten paid for it, uh, the first time around that I did it, or or even a little piece of it, you know, uh, each time it's it's uh, reproduced, um, I'd be, you know, I'll, I I could at least have some mac and cheese. You'd be a hundred, you know, with my yeah, it'd be hundred. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating though, and there's I, nothing uh... to really. There's nothing that that I can do about it after I especially with like Amazon and, and a few of the other places like that, you know, I contact them and I, um, explain and prove that it's my artwork. And even if they do take that person's stuff down, the next person will just, you know, they, yes, they, I step up and start, start to reproduce it anyway. So it's hard.
0: It's that's the worst one. I not not to pick on you know anyone, but i had, I had actually opened up a box of cereal that I bought in a, a fourth world country, and dumping it out into my bowl this morning, two of your stickers fell out into it. And... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wouldn't eat that cereal because the ink is probably with uh, you know has lead in it.
3: Exactly.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, it is it is an interesting dilemma that to promote yourself, you've got to get your work out there. And the more you put it out there, the more at risk you become. And so artists by nature are not business oriented. That's what makes them great artists. And so they're not thinking of, you know, protections and clauses and contracts and conditions. And many of them don't know the difference between a work for hire agreement from a consulting agreement to a production agreement to a licensing or a transfer of rights. And so understanding those things and how you craft your agreements is really critical because it's it's amazing how shameless some people are and just on one end and then just damn outright criminal on the other side of stealing intellectual property or things that were designed and created for others. And so it's uh, it's become a big dilemma. It, it, it's funny. I People that know me know that I started my career in the medical product design field, and uh, one of the first things I did on a CT head scanner that we had designed was license it to Toshiba. And i learned a lot about licensing never thought i'd be in that business again uh when i later went into technology and then went to mattel hot wheels and then later at mattel hot wheels i ran design and engineering and took over licensing so i was doing licensing for one of the giant toy companies when i left there i went to wor- work for a short period of time with the world's largest licensing company emi the guys who do gm gm and chevy Corvette, jack daniels dr pepper american airlines everybody um, and all that taught me is I never want to work for the biggest anything ever again. <laughs> so, 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 you know, we started Redfin with Chip. But, I mean, to the point of seeing your work, I mean, I've traveled to Chip in Latin America and seen Foos logos on shirts and go to conventions and see guys there selling things illegally. And we know they're illegal because Chip's never done a silver metal flake Foos T-shirt on a pink background. You know? <laughs> so, you know, you can kind of spot the infringers. And He's walk down the aisle up hide stuff. And we finally said, look, you might as well just leave it out. We already seen it. Um, And so there's a number of things. I mean, I don't know if you want to jump into the technical part, but there's a number of things to understand about when the artist does the work is first and foremost, it is the artist producing work that is going to be transferred to that person for them to own, or is the artist going to own it and he's going to license it or create a document that shows in what way they can use that artwork. So a lot of people, and Brad could probably attest to this in the sign, painting, and graphics world, um, sometimes come out and do signs, and somebody will say, well, you know, can you do a sign for me? But they don't have a design. So then you create a design for them, in essence, creating a logo for them. You paint a sign, well, if you come back a year later and the artwork you did is now on their crew uniforms and the side of their trucks, uh, their letterhead, their business cards, that's not what they paid for. You technically can go back and sue them or... Ask for remedy and ask for payment for illegal, author, illegal use of, of, the, of the mark because you designed it just for a sign. Now, if you don't state that in your agreement, if you don't, don't state that in the written contract, it's a bit more of a battle. But the government is, in the trademark and copyright office and even patent offices, generally pretty favorable towards the creator or the artist. And so that's the protection you get. But you got to make sure you exercise it. Then there's so many. I mean, I'll let you guys drive this where you want to go. But there's so many different layers of complexities uh, from the intellectual side of like, you know, patentable and, and, and tangible and intellectual properties um, like I worked on in the medical field to artwork and design like Chip does.
0: Right on. So yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if, us- uh, I mean, because would we be okay. better served to maybe start kind of from the artist side a lot of our listeners are kind of the grassroots guys Mm -hmm. these are the guys who are out there you know in the trenches Mm -hmm. uh designing logos t-shirts renderings custom car designs things like that
1: yeah the problem is too go ahead um most can't afford to pursue this you know what i mean
3: yeah and there are cheaper ways to pursue it the interesting thing is that if you're going to sue somebody for copyright infringement, you'll be better served if you've registered that copyright already. But Correct. as per per the World Intellectual Property Organization, which is part of a NATO agreement, part of the Geneva Conventions and all these things after wars and after trade and they think they, they have these different uh, I believe it's uh, the, there's a Barcelona agreement, there's all these different agreements anyway between WIPO. WIPO basically says that you do not have to copyright a design through formal registration to own it and they recognize that the creator if he can prove he's a creator is the owner of the copyright if he registers or not you're not required to to copyright it per se to have ownership it is easier if you go to sue somebody to have that copyright done and yeah it's not cheap but i i know a lot of artists who basically every time they sign their name they put a little c in a circle and they put it on there it's kind of like having a fence or a barrier to slow people down to give the implication or the uh, the you know inclination that it is copyrighted or will be copyrighted.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: If you maintain your work and maintain your files and maintain your artwork and you have clear documentation in a contract what you did the artwork for the client for, that's the first barrier. So you could go to court and say, look, here's an invoice where they paid me for a sign or lettering on a boat or a truck, and it says lettering for a boat or a truck. It doesn't say for business cards, T-shirts, you know, and, and, and other things.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and, and so that, depending on the judge, depending on how protracted the case is and depending on who you're going up against, you'd probably do pretty good in that regard. So that's why I'm a big fan for you know descriptive uh, contracts that describe clearly what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, there have been some cases where people have done work and they didn't provide a contract. The person getting that design, they could say, well, you did the design for me. I can use it any way I want to because now I'm considering you work for hire, which means I paid you an amount of money. What have you created? I own. And so an interesting nuance to all this is Chip Fu's, one of our one of our bigger clients, and his contracts, when he builds cars for clients, at the end of the contract, it states that they own the physical vehicle, but Chip own t- owns and maintains the intellectual property rights. The design itself, the imagery, the sketches, the photography, the illustrations, any embodiment of it, even as far as the physical presence of that car to promote another company cannot be done without his complete written authorization. Um, and that's done because Chip was smart enough years ago to realize that there's a certain amount of money in building cars, but you got to keep building cars to make that money.
2: But mm-hmm. if you've
3: done a bunch of illustrations, you've got a vault of – almost 4,000 images or sketches of photography that could be used for t-shirts and artwork and model cars and diecasts and video games. Well, that becomes, you know, uh, income that produces a return or return income that is produced when you're sleeping, not when you're welding and painting. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, they've had a, a very high And just wife's an attorney too. So I, I like, an, I like, I really enjoy working with her. She gets it. And so this is where your contracts become important as the first line of defense so you don't necessarily have to have a copyright if you have one it's better so a copyright is going to be used in cases where your work is art it's music uh, it's a book it's a video it's that kind of thing a trademark is when you create things like a logo that help define a company or a brand and so a trademark is different and then you'll see the r for a registered trademark you'll see tm for a trademark those are just Differences of uses and applications, and it's not really important for the artist to understand that because the artist is generally, like you're saying, is going to work more on copyrights. So first thing is when you're doing the work, make sure you get a clear written understanding of the work, what the work is, how you're producing it, how you're delivering it, and how they can use it. Um, That will save some problems. But it still will not stop from if that image got put on the Internet, like we just saw a few days ago that sparked this conversation. Of somebody stealing stealing that and using it for a t-shirt or using it for something else, then you gotta pursue those guys. What's funny is a lot of times the person who's your greatest ally in that battle is the person you originally did the artwork for because they don't wanna see it being used by somebody else. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So so they have a vested interest too. I,
0: I find it kind of funny if especially if you call someone out on stealing the artwork. It's so funny how they try to jump on. It's not. It's not even a defensive. They go right on an offensive, yeah, and throw it back in your face like you're the bad guy for calling them out.
3: Yes. Yeah. Like, how dare you tell me I can't use this? I mean, I guess that's the arrogance of business sometimes. And it's funny. I mentioned this earlier when I was talking to Brad. How, you know, I saw start, I started in the medical field, but I've always been a car guy and a hot rod guy. So I'm kind of a right brain, left brain. I got a little bit of both. But in the medical field, I mean, because it's medical products and it's technology and you know patents and. Technology grants, very buttoned down, very registered, very clear, uh, very sophisticated, and very business-like. And you're also dealing with the government. You switch to the other side of the business I'm in now, you know, cars, hot rods, TV shows, marketing. It's amazing on the car side, the the aftermarket side, how unsophisticated it is. I mean, how it's just really (laughs) not even a handshake on some deals. And then people are always confused later that people walk away with two different definitions of what was said. Well, you didn't write anything down. You didn't record anything. I mean, good Lord. How could you not have a misunderstanding? But yeah, you're right. And some people are just darn right indignant. And they just basically basically say, you know, F you, I'll do what I want. You can chase me down.
1: Yeah. Well, that's... I've been told that it's my fault because I put it on the
0: internet. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah. That's the equivalent of, well, Dell, he, he we're wearing a tight sweater.
3: I was just going to say, oh, right, if we were right. A tight sweater, we wouldn't be trying <laughs> Yeah. No. And that, yeah, that's, it's amazing. Like there's really, I mean, it's a shame. There's not a lot of sophistication in the business, but you got to remember too, this business is based more on passion and personality sometimes than it is on performance, you know, performances, you know, Dan Gurney and Mario Andretti and maybe Chip Fusa, people who build things what you guys do that's tangible, that's valuable as opposed to somebody standing up and screaming and getting drunk and buying cars at auctions and you know, that kind of stuff.
0: Right on. And then you wonder, well, when you see that person, you're like, well, who did your tattoo? And did you find that on the Internet?
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of nuance to it. And 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 I'll give you a specific case that has happened in the past where uh, a client has a, a vehicle from someone who, who designed and fabricated and built it. And then that client wants to use that car and put it in an ad for insurance companies or paint companies or tool companies. Well, this is where we have to remind them that you know chip has a very robust business going in sponsorship and licensing and our our paint supplier and our paint sponsors for years has been basf great company they treat us great chip just came back from a trip to atlanta um, with them the other day and they treat us good so we don't want somebody to take a car that chip foos built in the foo shop and take it and have it you know sponsored by ppg or in the ppg booth because our our sponsors and clients look at us and say "Well, well that's not fair So if you're hitting home runs and you're Reggie Jackson or Hank Aaron and you've got a Rawlings bat, and you've got a sponsorship with Rawlings bat. You don't want to see somebody doing something with another bat manufacturer or another glove manufacturer acting as if they paid for that, you know, recognition because the recognition creates transfer. That's the, you know, that's the effect. You know, that's the that's the um, mechanism of uh, creating credibility through association. You know, what products do we use? What gets us to where we're at?
0: Right. Well, that would be a whole other episode I'd love to dive into at some point because, man, how cool would it be to get an artist who, you know, specifically uses, you know, I only use, you know, Prismacolor pencils and, you know. It's funny as you mentioned that we've had an ongoing discussion
3: with the guys who make Sharpie, so the Prismacolor pencils and Sharpie. It's part of the um, Rubbermaid um, group. I forget the other name. It's uh, been merged with another one. and uh, Newell? And on, uh, yeah, Newell, yeah. We've had off and on discussions with them. They wanted to do a Chip Foo Sharpie uh, and, and just you know have him design it and supply some to us in a, in, a, in, a, in a fee-based thing. And then they wanted to do something with Prismacolor. They've gone through some acquisitions, but, yeah, we have talked about that. And so simple things like chart packs and lecture set, uh, markers, head marker, pens, pencils. We've had those conversations. And, and you, know, you know, a guy like Chip who's known for drawing could probably pull that off. Mm-hmm.
0: Dude, how yeah, oh, great see. These are the things I'm thinking about. If you do them in left and right-handed versions, you could could really double down on
2: that one.
3: But I mean, it's interesting for the casual people that are either at a smaller scale that aren't chifus, but hope to be at some level or maintain it. Even if they're never going to be at that level, I'm still a big fan of protecting your work. I mean, nobody wants to see something they did, you know, stolen. I always use the example because I've gone through this number number of times at Hot Wheels, um, in the medical field, um, it was kind of fun. Um, I had worked on a blood filtration device that another company copied outright. The company I worked for did that design for sued them, and I got part of the settlement check because I was on the, the list of you know, patent holders. So I thought, nah, that's pretty cool. They sue, and I still make money. Um, so. <laughs> but the the trick is that you've got to understand both the content, what it is you're doing, and the context, how they're going to use it. And even if you're a smaller company, I'm a big fan of you protecting your work because the artist's work, be it creative from songwriting, filmmaking, art, painting, graphics design, whatever it may be, is—it's a very, very um, finite skill set. It takes a lot of time to get there. It takes a lot of time to get recognition. It's not one of those things where you find overnight success. And I like protecting people's investments. If they're going to put the time in and do the work and build their skill set, that should be protected, and not someone should be able to come along. And one of the examples I use is like just as an example is um, say you take your kids to Sears, which is now almost defunct, for a Christmas picture. And they take a picture of you and your family, and they print Christmas cards for you to send out to Aunt Martha in Kansas whatever. Well, if you come back next year, and as an example of Sears' ability to make pictures, your family picture is posted all over Sears, come get your Christmas pictures. It's like, wait, that's my kids. That's my family. I, I don't own them, but they're you know, my family. You don't have the right to do that. Just because they pointed a camera at it doesn't give them permission to use that intellectual property right. Uh, no more than you could go out and buy a Ford right now, put a bunch of graphics on it, and promote your business by saying, you know, endorsed by Ford. You know, you can't do that. But it's amazing how some people say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, yeah. it's not hard to get the information. I mean, not knowing, what do they say? Uh, ignorance is no excuse for breaking the law. <laughs> but boy, some people will tell you over and over, I didn't know. And then I'm the guy that, i'm abundantly clear i mean i have a habit of not just making the point but making the point beating you over the head with the point and then tying you down and pushing the point in your face you know I, I i have to be protective of my clients i have to make sure there's a clear understanding of what they can and cannot do but you know you always have a subtle little thing that happens somewhere and then the one that most recently happened with Bry's artwork is just so frustrating because it's not the first time it's not the second time and it no. it's uh you know, it, it's a personal invasion.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I still have say, a slight twitch.
3: Yeah, and, and my greatest <laughs> answer, because I'm I'm my, my defense mechanism is being a smartass. Um, it's finally, you know, very finely honed. Um, so I always tell people, well, why did you use this? Oh, we thought it was cool. We were going to help build your brand. Oh, thanks <laughs> for that.
2: <laughs> really, what <laughs> not the not truth bad. is,
3: there was value in it. You wouldn't yeah. use it if it didn't have value. If it doesn't have value, it doesn't get used. So now that we've established that there is value, we just have to understand the dollar value to get that value, because nobody wants an associated mark that has no value. So they lean towards one that have values that they can pick off that has enough value to get them where they want to go, that they think they can do under the radar, and unfortunately it's got to be police, because it wouldn't, they, so in a weird way it's kind of a compliment, sorry guys, that they're using your stuff because they see value in it. Oh yeah, but but value means there's got to be a transfer of monies or value remunerated to you in some way. Well,
0: I'm well, I'm, I'm just don't... often flattered when I see just... my work being used by a shop that has like you know, like 17 followers over on Instagram, <laughs> and, and this guy's <laughs> telling me how you know using my work is going to bring me yeah. so many of his clients, yeah, exactly. and I go, well, yeah. dude, I, I've got literally tens of thousands more than. Yeah. You do? <laughs> yeah. We've never heard of you. And I, I love that, especially you post, you know, the work that they stole from you and everybody's like, well, I never heard of her. And you go, well, it's it's not a her, it's a company and they apparently make things. Yeah. So it, overall, let's, without giving away too much, because th- this is your business after all. by golly, if you're listening out there, having a guy like Carson represent you, it's the way to go. <laughs> I will say this, say you've got a younger guy who starts off, he's got some talent, mm-hmm. he's putting his work out there, just just as kind of a like a primer for this guy. He's new to this whole thing, say he literally just discovered the internet yesterday. Mm-hmm. Let's say, okay, let's give the guy a backstory, okay? Uh, Hamish is coming out of a small town in Pennsylvania. He, he learned how to draw cars by smuggling hot rod magazines back to his family's home where he'd read by candlelight. Uh, he decides he's going to draw a few things. He puts out a few designs, gets them on the internet. What are the first steps he could do to protect his work from being, you know, picked at by, you know, Joe Blow, the next town over who, um, owns a hot rod shop and has decided that this guy's artwork is going to look great on his logo or his t-shirts.
3: Well, I mean, the first thing to, to understand is no matter how good you are at protecting it, it doesn't make a difference to the bad guy who wants to steal your work. Right. So what you have to do is try to make it as inconvenient or cumbersome as possible. So you can do simple things like disabling the right-click, save as, print button on your on your artwork. So many times you go on Facebook and you right-click on the image and you can copy that image. You can paste it. You can use it. You can print it. You can put a watermark on it. Um, you can put it in such low resolution when they do it, it looks like it goes through, you know, screen door. But some guys don't care and they use it anyway, mm-hmm.
0: um, <laughs> exactly. which we've
3: seen, you know, we've seen that. Um, it, 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 so if you're it, it depends on, and, and I'll answer this in two ways. If he's doing work for someone then he's got to have a very clear contract uh, about well, like I said what he's doing and how it's going to be used if it's a if it's a you know a work for hire, the guy owns it outright because he's just starting because Lord knows I did those in the early days. I, I went up on signed jobs and designed logos that later were all over the whole building, but I gave him the design, so that's the deal. Um, having an understanding of that is a good way and a good contract at least is well researched. If you're going to do um, a deal where you give it to them for one use, then make sure you understand how he's going to use it, what the limitations are. But then you've got to do some kind of registration or some kind of intent to use it in other ways. So years ago, we had a deal with with uh, a large OEM company that Chip had used a terminology that they thought they owned. Um, I love the conversation. And I'm I'm doing this anonymously so they don't know who it is. People on the inside will. But I love the conversation when we dealt with this issue with them. They said, well, we don't have to be right. We're just bigger than you. All we, all we have to do is crush you. And I said, that's the spirit wow. of cooperation at the beginning of every project. <laughs> um, but understanding that first and foremost is what you're doing, the content that you're doing, and when the context, a good agreement. When, and that's so if you're doing work for somebody. If you're just posting things on social media and trying to get people's attention, disable that print and that save as by the right click. Um, understand how you can do that in the artwork. Put a watermark on that. Or, frankly, put a disclaimer at the bottom of every image you put on there that this image is the property of so-and-so company, uh, can only be used by permission, blah, 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 copyright, you know, 2018. Um, so copyright you can do, but when you get into copyright and trademarks and use of, of marks, you've got to then further delineate the categories you're going to work in. So apparel, car parts, accessories, car design, um, video, artworks, prints. Each one has a different category number, 22, 28, 32. They're all different categories. And it costs you extra money to file for these categories. And then, frankly, you need to produce some work in those categories to maintain your foothold in that category. Correct. That gets expensive. So the first barrier is... Make some protections where you can by a good contract and agreement. The second barrier is do something to disable the ability of people stealing your imagery off social media. You know, poor quality prints, a watermark, a uh, notation that's at the bottom of the print that has a you know a disclaimer on it that says you own the artwork, um, those kind of things. Uh, third is then going to the higher level of copyrights, trademarks, you know, registering it, protecting it. And the other thing is, sadly, uh, and this is what I get chartered with a lot is you've just got to be a policeman. You've got to be very diligent to watch and see what happens. Um, So we pay for all the analyticals on all our social media stuff and all the Google alerts and all that stuff that when people do things, say things about certain clients, we get the alerts. And if every once in a while, we don't get something that pops up that uses one of our clients' names or an image or a trademark name of a car or vehicle or product, depending if it's NBC Universal or or chip or whoever it is of our other clients or Disney Pixar for cars, whatever it is, and we'll see something to go, well, that's not authorized. And so you're like, well, here we go again. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. And then what we try to do, and I won't go into detail about who the company was, but we had one of these things happen right before SEMA. We let them know that what they were going to do with the intellectual property that was owned by a client couldn't be done without a permission. So instead of just, and they'd already spent a lot of money to do this endeavor. We said, look, why don't we turn an infringer into a license holder? How about if we charge you a fee to be able to do what you want to do at SEMA? You're good guys. We know who you are. Kind of a misunderstanding of sorts, but I won't go into detail as to who provided that misunderstanding because it didn't come from us. Um, we said, look, here's a small fee that will allow you to do the things at SEMA. And just to show you we're nice guys, we'll ear that, mo- that fee against future earnings of a licensing or sponsorship deal. So, sometimes you've got to use that and turn it to your advantage you've got to you know you've got to find a way to turn an infringer into a license holder and then you add and we like to add extra value one interesting thing that's that we do with all my clients is when we sign a sponsorship agreement and we transfer rights to images sketches photography um, whatever it may be that embodies the design um, we allow them to use that unlimited I do not put a cap on it. I don't say you can do one ad a year in the back of a magazine, one trade piece, one poster. I say you could use it as much as you want. All we require is that you send it to us before you use it so we can approve it because we want to add value. So really, frankly, it costs us no more to administer that if they do one of these things a year than if they do 20 or 30 or 200. In fact, when they do 20, 30 or 200, I'm happier because they're using my client's image in a more profound and a more, um, widely distributed, you know, uh, manner, which is great for the brand. That's what we want. Um, so there's some ways to play the game where you can add value, and that's the trick for us is how do we add value. But for guys starting out, man, it's a struggle. It's really a, – it's a struggle.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's why, I mean, I had first started off, and for me it wasn't just producing, you know, a, a low-quality version of the artwork. I just literally created really low-quality artwork and nobody stole that <laughs> and as as i got a little bit better i found that and yeah take it for what it is i tend to uh, be known for hiding penises in my artwork <laughs> <laughs>
3: there's some real freudian stuff going on there and i don't i'll save my psychology and my, my uh, psychology of deviations for another discussion
0: i i do it a lot of times a lot of stuff i'll post online will have at least one put in there, and I do it just because it's funny to me when somebody uses it in a logo or a T-shirt, and you point it out to them afterward. That's awesome! Yeah, <laughs> you're like, well you spent all that money to have those printed, huh? It's like, wow, well, turn that over, take a look at it. I want you to look at the front fender, and they look and they go, oh, "You got to be kidding me!" And I'm like, "Yeah, well, so you put it on your shirt. <laughs> there you go.
3: For a small fee, I'll remove that penis. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pretend you I'm a Swedish doctor. A it's a lot, gonna be though. great." <laughs> That's a way to get it done is, yeah, put obscene things in there and charge them to take it out.
2: <laughs> phallic extortion.
3: Another business model I never thought of. I'm going to try
2: that.
0: <laughs> did just, Alex, did you just say phallic extortion?
2: Yes. <laughs> hey, wait, you just stole the name of my company. <laughs> phallic Extortion, LLC. <laughs> we
0: make it hard to steal your <laughs> art. Oh, oh, that's oh perfect.
2: Oh, oh. Just right. oh that was good
1: oh my god so so how do you deal with um international thieves
3: you know it's interesting because we've had a lot of those um i I mentioned when chip and i went down to latin america in uh, sao paulo brazil it was unbelievable even people on the street that were selling shirts had food shirts we just laughed and we went to this big car show and guys were Walk around these shirts and chip left, and he said, Well, that's an infringement. And I said, Well, yeah, you can tell. Again, it was like a silver metal flake shirt, a logo on a, a Foos logo on a pink shirt. It's like, and then a black one. We're like, We never did those. And as we walked down the aisles, the guy started hiding stuff. He said, Look, don't hide it. We're already here. Um, the interesting thing is, international is tough because when you apply for copyrights and, and, and mark protection, um, you have to file internationally in the markets you're going to compete in, which is somehow we got to get that organized. And in some states, for some countries, it's like fifteen hundred bucks for each application. Some it's two and three thousand. Some you'll find people that have already taken marks out. We've had a lot of this. In fact, on the Foose page, we have to note who the infringers are.
2: Mm-hmm. We
3: have a guy down there who took the Foose name and started building cars. Uh, he calls himself Super Replicas. He's an, a complete crook, in my opinion. Um, you know, you got to put the qualifier right, in there. I right um, <laughs> did a lot of bad stuff, and um, you know. We filed everywhere through his attorneys, through the State Department, through international commerce, through WIPO and every and everybody just said, Look, there are some places that literally they feel if their local community and local people are working, even if they're stealing stuff to work on, they're making money and it's less people on our tax dollars. And so China, you know, has had this issue going on for years. Uh Latin America's had it, you know, just run rampant for a while because even back and forth in, in between Country to country in Latin America, the rules aren't the same as far as protections. Um, some countries, like, thank, frankly, uh, Brazil, has a 60% import tariff on anything that comes in automotive because they want to make sure they only instill growth in their automotive market. That's why there's a Ford plant down there and a Volkswagen plant. Uh, okay. That's also why they don't have a bunch of V8 motors because you can't import them. Um, but what happens is it then gets a a, a, a large community of people that do just Frankly, right out and out counterfeiting. They get parts and pieces. They make their own castings. They re-engineer them. They reverse-engineer them. They make them. They put a logo on them. Call it a Craig or wheel. Call it a YM blower or a Mooneyham blower or whatever it may be. Sell them, and who's going to police it? When's the last time, you know, one of those guys was down in Bolivia doing something? Mm-hmm. And so you'll find that that'll be your greatest frustration is how unequal the the laws are, not just administered, how they're written, but the functional aspect of the street. All you can do is just do your best. It's like you know you're never going to police all of it. You're never going to be able to contract contract all of it. But you have to go after the ones that are damaging to your brand or create associations with things like alcohol or tobacco, tobacco that maybe you're not involved with or other things that you don't do. Uh, making fiberglass replicas cars has never been Chip's business, so that hurts our image of what we do. So we have to go after those guys. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just move. They just go to another country, but yeah, international is very frustrating.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've had a lot of stuff in uh, in Russia and mm-hmm. Thailand and, and uh South America, and it's just been very. It, it there's not a lot you can do about it, unfortunately.
0: Well, your work on last year's Bolivian Street Rod National shirt was. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That was mind blowing.
1: <laughs> it was a mashup of twenty years worth of artwork, basically.
0: I I just I worry. Okay, in in a case like say with with Chips Brand, if you've got a company out there that's making fiberglass repop vehicles, are, now they're not repros of cars he's built, are they? No,
2: they would
3: take. Uh... And like make a Lamborghini and put it over the body
0: of a of take the body off a Camaro and put it over the top. Seriously. Oh, this is it like one of these companies far. that does like the uh, the Bugatti built on the Camry chassis and everything?
3: Yeah, remember the old days they had the uh, the uh, Rolls Royce Volkswagen. You know, I remember that? Yeah. the Rolls Royce girl and stuff. It's not even that good. The, the interesting thing is, and I'll, I'll tell the truth about this story is Chip was in an event down in in Brazil. And this gentleman came up and said, oh, I'm a big fan of yours. I love what you do. Would you sign this for me, this piece of paper? (laughs) Chip signed it. The guy came back in line again and said, oh, would you do me a little sketch? Chip did a little sketch. Guy came back in line again and had him do something else and post a picture with his friends. He then put it up on the website and said, here's Chip signing our contract to Green to work with us. Here's Chip doing the design of the first car he's going to build with us. Here's Chip and our new group that we've just put together. So this guy put this all together very well planned Do exactly what he was doing and we went and just went mother you know what you got you talk about a guy who and you know chip's up there with you know he's a popular guy and he's got autographed lines down there that are even honestly believe it or not more ridiculous than here in the states even bigger than sema it's amazing the, the follow following he has down there and per capita they're a highly concentrated automotive culture down there and so he wasn't thinking until later. He said, yeah, I wondered why that guy kept coming back up. And we showed the website to him. He we go, well, now we know why. So we had to put an infringement statement on the Foose website. I won't give give the guy even credit as to who he was and what he's doing by mentioning his name here. But, yeah, it was really frustrating.
0: I tell you, I know what I'm doing next year at the SEMA show. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, you want to have a talk with me? <laughs> oh, I'm going to get a picture
0: of you with us. You're going to be part of our group. <laughs>
3: oh, no, that's have you ever noticed on all the overhauling shows, you may see my elbow. You may see the back of my ear. You'll rarely, <laughs> rarely see. Yeah, that's done for a reason. That's done for a reason. I want, to, I want to have some level of anonymity when I come in and do something and have to. And I, This is the thing I don't like about my business is many times I, I feel like, and I use this phrase, just recently about something I had to do at SEMA. I feel like the cop who has to write speeding tickets to my next door neighbor. Oh yeah. Because of so these people I know and I yeah. have to say, look, you can't do that. That's not permitted. Well, we thought we felt we chip said, somebody said I could, well, no, I'm just, you know what? I'm abundantly clear. You got my number. Call me, you know, we can talk about this. We can figure it out. Let's get a resolution, but you can't just do it and think it's okay. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. um, yeah, it's, um, it's, part of the business it's not fun i will tell you there been a couple times that it was fun by the way we did things and you know through little little hidden things in 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 the resolution that we could track and monitor and keep an eye of what was going on so you'll learn to be clever
0: yeah i, <laughs> I this is the hardest part for me is especially in a community as small as the hot rod world is I mean, it, it's more family than anything else, and it, it's kind of sickening when you see people that are in there, and they're stealing artwork, or using it incorrectly. Yeah. And, you know, again, that that's kind of, you know, like, going down finding the hall and theirs? finding, you know, your brother with your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> that
3: happened to you, too? <laughs>
0: and the weird part is, I don't even have a brother. So,
1: <laughs> or they claim the artwork is theirs, or the, you know, that, that they did it, or, or right. that... That, that they designed it or it was, it was designed in-house or,
0: or so yep. you know in-house or someone else. Oh, someone else did this for me. It's like they signed my name too.
1: Yeah. yeah right.
0: Yeah. 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 That's um, a tough one. And yeah, when you get into intellectual property though, as far as design goes down, I mean, you hit, you hit the nail on the head, you know, you, you put your heart and soul into something and then you watch, I don't know, yep. a YouTube video of someone yep. after the car wins an award they're telling the story about how they came up with this whole thing. <laughs> You're going mm-hmm.
3: Well, it's one of the sayings that I have been saying for years, and it's simply put that uh, success has many fathers and failure is an orphan. So the stuff that works well, everybody had a part of it. Everybody was involved in that car. Nobody gets oh. credit, but everybody was involved And in Everybody will tell you on the street, oh, I did this, I did that. And some people did it, some people didn't. But the things that are failures, nobody was involved in it. Nobody had anything to do with it, but somehow it still got done. <laughs> with nobody taking mm-hmm. credit for it. So it just means, you know, that, that whole imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. N- no, it's not. Getting a check in the mail is the sincerest form of flattery. <laughs> yeah. so, and so, you know, we don't have to monetize everything with money. We just have to make sure we maintain the rights. And sometimes it's not a monetary transfer. It's just recognition or right. promotion or just reference you or remembering you the next go around. And that's good, too, because that has value.
1: Right, because that keeps, right. the-, keeps the wheels
3: going. Exactly. Because let's face it, this is a competitive market. And what we all do in our own different ways is creative in some way. We want two things from that. We want recognition from that. And we want remuneration. And if we don't get all of one, we want a lot more of the other. Mm-hmm. So we've been paid sometimes to do work to not take credit for it. Um, Chip's done a ton of work for the OEMs. Some people know the backstories. I won't say them here. Uh, but to paid a ton of money to do work on certain vehicles and platforms to get them you know, tuned up and, and styled up and back on track they pay you a bunch of money to do the work and they pay you a bunch of money just to keep shut about shut up about doing it mm-hmm. then sometimes they pay you a bunch of money and um, they don't care that you mention what you're doing because they want you to promote it but that, that's got to be like a, a scale it's got to be you know scalable to you to make sense to you also and it could be different if you're trying to build a career maybe you need more recognition than more than money at first who knows but it definitely should have both parts. Right he on. didn't work
1: on that new GM truck, did he?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's an issue. And then, you know, how do you even encourage people to want to go into this business if this is one of the ways we treat our talent? Um, you know, it's it's that's pretty frustrating. So, like I said, it's it's amazing to me how there are some levels of sophistication in this business and then there's just a complete absence and not even an apology for that absence.
2: Right.
3: Instead, just indignant. Well, no. Well, you're the one who screwed up. Why'd you put it on the Internet?
1: Well, the problem is, you know... Artists are looked at as just tools now yes, yes. and not and not craftsmen, yep. you know, or, or yep. not, yep. you know. So that's Look, that's I, frustrating.
3: It's funny. I, I, I teach at the university and we just had a discussion last night with the seniors at their work in progress. And, and I was explaining to students that art and design are two different things. Mm-hmm. Art is meant to evoke, provoke, speak to, reflect, instigate. You know, it, it, it's an emotional tool. Um, design is well, good
1: design can do that too though
3: it can exactly but design's first goal is business it's 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 mm-hmm. a business tool but it, good design can be art mm-hmm. the problem is many industrial designers want to be artists and and they think they're going to change the world for through great design well that doesn't happen um yeah
1: it's got to work first
3: uh, exactly that old Bauhaus thing form follows function which i believe in firmly and so You've got to understand that you're in the communication business, and design is a communication tool, like a language. Design's a universal language because I don't speak French to know a cool design when I'm in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see it. Um, but to that point, the the recognition and the expectation. Many times, people will say in the design process, "Well, I guess we're done with the engineering. We better take it over to design now and see what they do with it." Like this reluctant kind of like, "Oh crap, we got to include these guys." When they don't add it, understand it's a value added. Mm-hmm. With art, it's pure art, because a lot of the work that we do in this group, you guys all included and me, it's really more design than it is art. The skill set is an artist skill set, but the mindset and the methodology is a business mindset. So I've always said that one of the things I did in the medical field is I realized that early on I needed to have something as a differentiator. And so my big thing was to include human factors in medical products and basically get greater um Operator efficiencies make it easier to use the equipment and make it easier for the patient understanding you would get better throughput with devices. So if a CT scanner is uncomfortable for the patient and hard to operate for the operator, you're not going to get a lot of throughput. Mm-hmm. So I built a career on that. But the way I explained it was that I communicated in a business sense, but I expressed the solutions in a design sense. Because if you go in there and you talk about colors and composition to a bunch of finance and engineering guys, you're mm-hmm. going to lose them. If you can speak to, hey, this machine works 37% more hours because it's easier to operate, it takes less patient, patient setup, this design allows that to happen, now you calibrate your design to a solution instead of calibrating it to an art end result. Mm-hmm. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not that I'm against art, I, I love art, but art and design have two different purposes. There can be an overlap. But to that point, yeah, it, it's interesting too that many people then also think, and you guys have probably all heard this, well, gosh – Look how easy it was for you to do that drawing. I mean, that's not work. Mm -hmm. I had one guy tell me when I was painting signs years ago, oh, if I could paint like that, I'd never work another day in my life. And I said, what makes you think this doesn't work? He goes, oh, look, it's just jumping off your hand. I was doing watercolor windows in college for Christmas to make some extra money. I said, what makes you think it's not work? That's also a problem with artists and designers is because people think it's easy. They think it doesn't have value.
1: Well, I've been – Um, I've been told, Well, you know, it only takes you, you know, an hour, two hours to do, so why do you charge so much? I said, Well, you're not paying for the hour or two hours, you're paying for the twenty plus years before it it took me to hone this. You know,
3: Brad knows him. If you know Dennis Rickliffs, I love his Mm -hmm. answer when somebody asks him, How long does it take to pinstripe a car? You know what he says? (laughs) About forty years. Forty years, perfect. Because that's what it took to get him there that day, feet on the street brush in his hand to do it and that's the yeah. truth it's not it's an perfect. overnight thing and literally a lot of this is you know it's it's gut-wrenching to be able to build those skill sets and yeah. there's there's not an open community per se where you can just go and you know go take a quick crash course in this thing i mean i've yet to see a matchbook cover that says learn to be a brain surgeon overnight you know next to the one that says draw pinky or the pirate you know
0: right you know, you're like, not hanging out in the right places <laughs>
3: just not using those matchbooks <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's one of those things. And so I will tell you, though, that that process of being hard and being linear and being a lot of work, it weeds out a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So people that have been doing it 20 or 30 years, that's why I'm super protective of their art, their design, their intellectual property, what they've created. Because they've got you know years of investment to get to that point of either being great at art, good at design, good at painting, lettering building cars, whatever it is.
0: Uh, around the long term, the long term, guys, it's it's it becomes a smaller and tighter community as you go. Yes. You know, and I don't think a lot of people have to understand, too, we all talk. Mm-hmm. We, we, yeah. not, we yeah. may not be the closest friends, but it, it, it often comes down to, you know, you're really good friends with another guy who happens to be good friends with this other mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Everybody's always talking and yeah we tend to share that's what them. I like about our community. Oh, I yeah. love it, and everybody sticks up for everybody. you know yeah. if someone sees their art out there, that email or that message goes around like yeah. like lightning. Oh yeah well even even um, I, um, I was asked to
1: do to to uh, redo some artwork that was uh, low res. Um, it was owned by by a a, a person who bought um, a company. But but all they had was the low res artwork and and I recognized it and I could have gotten paid money for it, or you know some some halfway decent money for it, but um I asked around and i uh, it was Rowan days oh, okay. so i oh, geez, yeah. i I yeah, hooked him up with the guy. guy yeah yeah, I hooked him up with a guy, and uh, he he had uh the he uh, still had the you know, the files. So, so uh, he got paid again for that. So, nice. I, well, I mean, that's just the way it, it just, you know, that's, that's how you're supposed to do it. And that's how I sleep at night. It's professional well, it's courtesy. Yeah, yeah. When I was at Mattel, we took a run at purchasing muscle machines. Um, okay. Me and another guy led the
3: program and did the research and the financials and the analyticals and the whole thing. And, and at the time we decided not to, but it's interesting as that migrated from muscle machines to action performance to, um, Uh, I'm trying to think of the company after Action to where they finally ended up. Um, There was a lot of resources and a lot of people who didn't get paid uh, in the first go-round, and they filed suit, and a guy who was a model maker, who I won't mention his name, but a model maker for us who worked for us at Mattel, did a lot of the model making there. Mm -hmm. He wasn't paid properly on the first go-round on muscle machines. He sued the company that ended up owning the rights. Is it Maestro that owns them now? I don't even um, know.
0: I want to say... That, that sounds right.
3: I think anyway, he ended up suing them and they had to settle with him because he was never remunerated for the work he did, which was considered by the courts to be contributing intellectual property. Mm. So here's a model maker who was not giving, given exact drawings and said to build this exactly. He was given instructions like, make this look cool, change it, do what you think works. So he mm. was adding to the intellectual property of it. He was he was a designer. He wasn't a, you know, just an execution. risk hand work or wrist he was doing head work and he yeah. sued and won and it, it made him a lot of money and and it should have
1: good
3: and so yeah you find these things happen quite a bit and then it, it is it is amazing to me that for as competitive as the community is yeah we do pretty much speak a lot and and we're pretty protective and if we see something we'll say well gosh you probably don't want to work with this guy because he, he kind of did this thing in the past and i don't want to see that happen to you because one of the things i say in life i have these dumb sayings that you're many times defined by what you do in life. Sometimes you are more greatly defined by what you don't do, the things you won't do, and because mm-hmm. you know a yes and no decision is very, very much can be calibrated as to character, as to what you'll do and
0: what you won't do. Oh yeah, I I had mm-hmm. an opportunity yeah. very early yeah. on to do some, uh, well, let's just say that I will in sugarcoat it. We're going to say very pornographic work. Mm-hmm. Not, not on the film acting side. No, I was going to say, were you that, that, <laughs> were
2: you that extra I saw them bring in and at what?
0: Was that you? Who ordered the pepperoni? How horrible <laughs> would that be to show up and be like an extra? Okay, we just need you guys for one scene. It like was an extra in the orgy scene. and Oh, Jesus. Um, uh, work, I, work,
2: work, work. Oh, what a day at the office I had. I was a fluffer. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah.
3: Uh, so did you do the work in the industry? I
0: I did not I uh, you know I, I had a I had a very young family at the time and uh, I just I couldn't bring myself to do it and I kind of stuck to my guns and I look back on it and I think you know maybe that was for the best because yeah. you know an in industry like that and nothing against it hey people have made good money I mean look mm-hmm. at you know the whole VHS thing and yeah. um. Uh, but, man, uh, you know, don't t- don't get me wrong. There were times when it was very lean when I kept looking back on, you know, it's all it would have taken.
3: Yeah, but to the point, if it's not something that you could show your kids or show your parents, that'd be kind of tough to justify that you did it for the money.
0: Well, I kind of look back at it now thinking all the times that my ex-in-laws would say, are you still drawing those cartoons? Go, yeah, let me show you what I'm doing. <laughs>
3: In fact, your, your, your uh, daughter posed for this one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Can, can you, them, you
0: know, though, pulling those out and just going, hey, check this out. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been weird. And instead, you know, you struggle, you, you do something you're more passionate about. You know, oh, my like... brother
1: was out in California, and he was working for for a uh, a game company out there as a as an animator. And it, it, uh, the game um, ended, and um, and he was getting laid off. So so what he had planned on moving home, or you know to to Wisconsin. But but he had he had a chance to work on the next game, and stay out there, and it was for perhaps a decent money. But he would have been—he would have been rigging up. Um, it was—I can't remember the name of the game, but um, it was Satan, and he would have been honest rig- Honestly, God, this is this is a true story. He would have been rigging up Satan's junk. Wow. And and so 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 what he would have been animating Satan's junk. Wow. in this next video game. And he just said, nah, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to pass. Can
0: you imagine They're putting that some... down though on your resume? What you right. know, was the jigger rigger? Hey, John, the
3: guy. Hey, I've seen your work. Love
2: it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Where did you see this again? You did that. <laughs>
2: I didn't know you did that. Very realistic.
3: <laughs> nice. Well, hey, it's interesting hold. too, because to the point of being defined, one of the stories we tell about Chip Foose, and, and I'll tell this story. Um, I'd only been working for CHIP um, maybe a couple years, and we had developed our you know our five-year plan, what we wanted to do by measurement, by incrementals, and even by silly things like we wanted to get them on the Jay Leno show and silly things like that. So we put this plan together, and we were well ahead of schedule, and I met with the FUSAs after the first year and kind of did like, you know, you are here kind of on a map, what's going on, things are working well. And then about a week later, I got a call from a friend of mine who worked for Budweiser, and they were being bought out by the Belgium-German conglomerate. Beer company, and she's the person who brought Kenny Bernstein into drag racing when he parked his rig out in the parking lot at Dale Jr. And she said, Look, you know, I'm a big automotive fan, you know. And I knew her from a friend of mine in drag racing, Kenny Bernstein. And he introduced me to her, and she said, Before, before I leave this job, I want to do one last deal. I want to do Chip and Beer and, and Chip and Budweiser. And I said, Oh, I don't think that works. You know, Chip's kind of the boy next door, you know, he, he's got a different, you know, approach. Um, you know, I don't think it's good. For him, and then I also I'm not a fan of mixing alcohol, power tools, and cars. You know I don't think that's a good combination. (laughs) And she said, Oh gosh, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Look, I'm going to do this before I retire. I want to go out on one last one. And I said to her, Look, I I don't even know the measurable criteria on this, but let me tell you, if you could turn this into a a PSA, a public service announcement, don't drink and drive, uh, hook us up with uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and turn it into a campaign, he'll probably be on board. But if it's sell more beer, we're probably out. And she said, well, you're kind of turning my whole program all around, but let me go back and check because that's not where it started. I said, OK. And, I, and I'm speaking for Chip and Lynn at this time. I said, look, I kind of know them. Let me talk to them and see if it changes their mind if they want to do it. So I talked to Chip and he related to me um, a, a good friend in high school that had a very tragic uh, ending due to alcoholism and uh, an accident and a uh, bad deal and a bad mojo. And Chip said, you know, I've never drank you know, hardly at all and I don't drink at all because of that. And he said, I wouldn't do that. And I and I told him about the PSA thing. And he said, if it was that, I would do it. So a week later, um, my contact called me back and said, um, who wants to go first? I said, well, I talked to Chip. And if it's a PSA, we're in. If it's buy more beer, we're out. And she said, it's buy more beer. It's a Labor Day promotion around Chip. It's racing. It's, you know, T-shirts and hats with the Foose Budweiser logo. It's building a car for us. It's touring a car. It's making appearances. It's cardboard cutouts at 7-Eleven it's a full integrated program. And I said, you know, God bless you, you've you done a great job. I'm sorry we can't do it. She said, well, wait a minute. I haven't even told you how much money it is. <laughs> and I'll just tell you, it was millions of dollars, mm-hmm. millions of dollars over about a three-year contract. And, um, I said, "We we still can't do it. So she teased me for, you know, making a decision, you know, that didn't help her. So anyway, bottom line, about a week later, I saw Lynn at the office and, and she's Chip's wife and attorney. And she walks up to me, she goes, what is wrong with you? I said, I'm sorry. She goes, what is, Chip just told me about the Budweiser deal. She goes, my gosh, you told me how much money that is. She goes, that is crazy. How can you turn that down? I said, Lynn, let me just tell you this. Two weeks ago, I sat at your kitchen table and we did our first one-year plan into our five-year plan of where we were. And we're already way much further down the road than we thought we'd be. We've got greater connection with fans. We're building our fan base. We're doing more projects. And and why now is this all the money in the world? Other than it's all the money in the world. So if we make a plan and then continually change it, we're like a ship without a rudder. It doesn't mean you don't take on the things that meet your brand and work with your brand, Mm -hmm. but we would have done this only for money. And so that's where I use an example of chip being true. And so she laughed and she said, I hate it when you're right. Um, And it's not to brag and say, oh, we're the guys who turned down Budweiser. But frankly, I did tell him, I said, look, I have another client, Ivan Stewart. He'd be perfect for this. Baja Mm -hmm. legend, race car drive. It'd be better if it was Ducati beer or or, you know, Modelo or Pacifico or Corona or one of those. Um, But, um, you know, you you can't mismatch the brands or it just looks like a complete sellout. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of the example of being defined by what you do and what you don't do.
0: Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and it's I right. think that's a tough thing to choose when you're when you're young and starting out too.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: man, because you know money talks, and you're know, like, well, and I think that that's an important thing. You know, you touched on. Well, speaking of added value, you added a ton of value right here. When you're young, I mean, it, it's you guys still there?
2: Yeah, yep, okay. I'm here. Yep.
0: That went weird on my side. I apologize. If you're still out there in listener land, hey, thanks. Um. I think it's important as, as anyone starting out in any career, really kind of map out your career a little bit, at least, you yeah. know, get a couple of years figured out, like you said, you have a one or a three or a five year plan mm-hmm. and then go in, you know, and after that, end of that first year, that third year, that fifth year, kind of check out where you're at compared to where you thought you'd be or hoped you'd be and, you know, make changes to the plan and move on. And I, I probably changed my plan. No joke, probably half a dozen times.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and gosh, but, but look at where you know I am today.
3: But The trick is you know where you're changing from. <laughs> you know what you're doing and you know why you're doing it. Cause, so if you don't have a plan, you're just like a leaf in the breeze. You're just blowing around wherever business tends to find you. If you have a certain segment of the business you want to work in, if you have a certain way of doing business you want to work in, if you have a certain contractual format or however you do it, or you know what you want to do by either growth numbers or – different market you service or whatever it is, have an understanding of that. And and the cool thing about that is these things can be complete pipe dreams of where you want to go. All you have to do is work towards them. And, and sometimes you'll get there. Sometimes you won't. But we've always kind of maintained in my business and Chip's business, kind of an 80-20 rule. We book about 80% of our hours and 80% of our time. We leave the 20% extra for the projects that take longer than we think and the opportunistic stuff that comes up. And so mm-hmm. – we have a general direction, but we're continually adjusting it. But it's kind of like in the absence of, of laws, there's just chaos. When we break a law, at least we know we broke a law as opposed to saying, well, you can't get mad at me. There's no law for such a thing. And so you have to have some kind of, you know, exceptions. You have to have the rules and you have to have exceptions to the rules. And so understanding that is, yeah, it's very important. I, I do a lot of, um, kind of, um, uh, mentoring and, and, and and take on some kids as internships a lot because it helped me in my career. And that's one of the things beyond just talking about design and how you build a business is like, how do you manage your career? What are the indicators? Who do you view as a role model? What can you learn? What what level are you at for talent and skill compared to your peers? What's the thing that adds value and differentiation, differentiation in your career and how can you build from that? And if you want to do something different, make small incremental steps to do something different. And you can get there, and it's amazing. You 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 can't wish yourself into prosperity, but you can't plan for a better approach to it. What do the people say that the harder I worked, the luckier I got? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's kind of what happens. So, yeah, it's. it. But, yeah, it's, and it's a tough market. I mean, it, I can imagine right now, you know, well, we, did, we just had our senior work in progress last night, and a lot of these kids are going to go out into the industrial design community and look for jobs, and it's not an easy market. So you better be pretty adept or pretty flexible at, or pretty focused on what you're doing.
0: Man. So, so, as far as coming up with that that first contract or something, I mean, I know how I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, Your suggestion: go out and hire a lawyer, or no. do one of no. these. You
3: know, and find the one online. The wonderful thing about computers and the internet is all those forms are out there on That's Wikipedia, on LegalZoom. Uh, even if you just type it into Google, a non-disclosure agreement, a you know, services agreement, a consulting agreement, you'll get 20 ways till Sunday. Cut and paste, use it the way you want to, um, make it unique. When you yep. get to a higher level and you start doing more and more work, then you know, then you do need a lawyer. So you know, we have a lawyer on staff, and the funny thing is, we're going on about 14 years now of doing brand management and all the stuff we do for our clients. And our contract, our basic contract for sponsorship, and we have a contract for licensing, those are the two primary ones other than consulting and services. Those contracts in 13, 14 years have probably gone through not major changes, but significant changes, six, seven times, because we learn more, we have more provisions, more conditions, we have a greater understanding of what we're doing, and we're doing more things for more people with the same initial product. And so... The, the idea is that you don't just write a contract and then walk away from it. It'll be one of those things you continually work on, continually develop, continually fine-tune, just like you do your skill set.
2: But at oh, first, exactly.
3: there's enough documents out there on, on the Internet. You don't need a, an attorney at the, at the beginning.
0: Oh, no. And um, I mean, mine, gosh, I, I look back at my first one. My, my first one was four pages long. Mm-hmm. And it's now to a point where the one I send out, you know, start a job, is literally it's a one-page agreement. Mm-hmm and everything's on there everything else that you know needs to be linked from there Mm -hmm. is included on the website yeah they have full access to that all the changes and updates and i think gosh at this point i think it's on it's i think it's like version 8.3 over the years so you know and and it's great it spells everything out you know and i make sure I, i try to tell everyone just like you said You know, you go in there, you say, "This is exactly what the job is. This is exactly the rights that you have to it. These are the rights I have to the artwork." You know, and and it works out great. Um, You know, except in the situations where (laughs) someone—well, that's (laughs)
3: the thing too. This somebody has the intent to defraud you. It doesn't matter if you contract or not. If if their goal is to try to get, you know, put you in a bad situation and take more from you than they paid for, then no contract in the world is going to keep. That's why people still speed. people still murder each other even though we have laws say you can't do that um you know if they have the intent to do it there's not much you can do all you can hope to do is avoid them or slow them down and frankly i've had it a couple times in contracts people say oh if your contract's more than four pages i won't even look at it i won't do the deal and i'm like well that's a silly way to look at it." it it's like saying if the girl's more than five foot three i won't marry her it's like you don't even know anything about the conditions it's like what if that four pages was full of or three pages full of fluff and nonsense and meant nothing and and exposed you to great harm, the guy who did the contract and me, or what if my 19 page contract is so robust and so perfect that you saw additional value and to apply some of that to your other aspects of business. And so that's one thing that kind of always gets me up in arms. And the other one is where people say, Oh, let's just do this on a handshake. And I was talking to Brad about this earlier, just, just for me, I'm not that guy. Because what happens if I get sick and die and my wife has to understand what's going on? What happens if conditions change in management and I have a different person? What do I base it on? What's the metrics? And people change, people move all the time. Or what if just by time, and we know this as humans, that just within time we had a small disagreement in the beginning about something, execution, a date, a price, or whatever it was, and we got over it. I will guarantee you as years go by – you, are pol- you will polarize more to your view of things, and I will polarize more to my view of things, and that, that gap will get bigger because that's what time does. Time you know, teaches us that we're more right if you don't get to resolution. So th- my goal is to get to resolution quick after issues, not to wait because the longer it goes, the further apart you migrate. But just by comparison, not that it's right, wrong, or different, but it's right for me. The one person in the business world, and, and other than my wife, the other, the one person I can trust the most on both an emotional, family, spiritual um, business is my son, who's a partner in the business. I have more contracts and more paper with him than anybody else. <laughs> I have a buy-sell agreement. We have an ownership. We have an operation guideline. We have our bylaws. we were an LLC. We have our articles of incorporation. We have other agreements that dictate what we do, and the reason is... That's the last guy I ever want to have a disagreement with. That's the last guy I ever want to have him think I took advantage of him or did something wrong or have him feel that, you know, he took advantage of me. It's just, And yet we have dealt with companies that have said, oh, we don't need to write this down. We're good. You know, a handshake will work for me. Well, good luck when you come to the first bridge that you don't hit it at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And what? so th- that's another thing, too, that I basically warn people going into this field of design and engineering and art is if you're dealing with people that don't want to document things that want to do things free and loose, if you've got to do it, and take the money, have a notebook with you where you take voracious notes and you can go back and say, no, on this day, I wrote this down and you said this and this at least have notes, uh, something to refer back to. Um, it's, it's interesting when you look at trust I generally like to give people a lot of trust and then have them fail and I'll take pieces back is what I like to do. But it's interesting. In most cases, trust is like respect. It's um, built in small pieces and it's lost in big chunks. And and that's a shame, but people don't realize that you don't have to be the greatest businessman in the world to succeed as a designer and an artist, but you've got to have an understanding that you are in, in business. You are in a business.
1: Even if you uh, record the conversation, that uh, it doesn't always um, – uh, they can still uh, uh, They can still. Um, uh, dispute what they said.
3: Right. They'll you know? say, oh, I know I said that, but what I meant was <laughs> – or my favorite line, my favorite line is, well, you took me out of context. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't re-edit the tape. Some people will actually not let you, not let you, um, hey, there's my buddy Chip calling me. Some people will not let you um, tape at all. I'm going to put this on and call him back. Um, but, yeah, some people will only want to, will forbid you from right. tape, which is interesting. Yeah, kind of funny.
0: Oh, yeah, we've, Del, you and I ran into that once. Right, a,
1: a 69 and a 68 Camaro is the same thing.
0: Yes, they are. Um...
1: Yeah, th- yeah, there's no difference. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a legitimate argument.
0: Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. Oh yeah. This was this was a. This is a the guy who said there's
3: no difference between a $1 dollar and a hundred dollar bill. So go ahead and give me the hundred dollar bill. <laughs>
2: right. yeah, same paper.
3: Same paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still green. It's got In ink colors, on it, right? images.
2: Well, so somebody that, actually said there was no difference. Oh Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. I, I recall our conversation right after that going, uh, and that was, <laughs> of the entire, what, hour that we spent on the phone with those guys, that was the yeah. point you and I zoned right back in on. <laughs> but uh, uh, going back just a little bit, Carson, you had guided me really well, and I was a noob to all this stuff, dealing with a television production company. Uh-huh. And uh, you gave me some great advice. And you really guided me through a, what would have been a work for hire agreement. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this is something that's kind of important too, especially with the rise of, uh, you know, automotive based reality TV, where they call in an artist from the outside to create artwork for a project. Mm -hmm. And that, that was, to me, that was kind of a minefield because it was a little bit different than what I had been used to dealing with a shop. Or, you know, a company that's creating, you know, um, a lifestyle car or some kind of a hype vehicle for, uh, you know, a SEMA show or a PRI or something like that. And to me, that that was really eye-opening because it's a whole different world. Yeah. I mean, you're not dealing with a shop. You're dealing with a, you know, some producer. Yeah. It was... I'm not going to say anything bad. I mean, that side of it went okay. I'm glad I left my name off of the artwork and I, I took the money instead of the name recognition. Mm-hmm.
3: Because... I mean, there's sometimes you do that. And really, the, 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 the scary thing about TV is also the good thing about TV. It's the exposure and opportunity. It's the number of people that can see it. But if you don't have control over it, what you're doing, if you don't control how you're being shot and edited... If you can't control content or context, meaning what you did and how they say what you did, but yet they're offering you this exposure, it's like saying, hey, I'm going to take some pictures for you. I'm not sure if it's going to be in uh, Cosmopolitan, Playboy, National Geographic, or Look Magazine, but trust me, I'll 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 take care of you. You're not going to get me signing up to that deal. And so – and then the TV thing too is interesting is that because they point a camera on it, they think they own it. Some of them they own, and this is where I get on my high horse, and you go back years ago, and I'm, I'm just going to say it publicly here. If you go back to the beginning of automotive-based reality TV, the first shows were Monster Garage, Orange County Choppers, and Rides, the first episode shipped in with, with Bud Brudsman. Rides was probably the best, even now, all these years later, the best shot, uh, narrated, lit, edited, scripted show ever. Rides was
0: phenomenal. It holds up today, It definitely. Yes.
2: Yes. Oh, absolutely. Never
3: been since. And it overhauled spawned out of that. Um, but, I mean, not bragging, but in a way, Chip, Bud, the Foose organization, I'm not going to take credit for that, but we were involved in it. All of us collectively kind of changed TV. Now, networks point a camera at it, and they think they created it. They didn't create it any more than the guy who runs the press printing papers wrote the stories. And I don't want to be mean to these people, but it's become very frustrating to me that they take credit for changing the world. They didn't know enough about car culture to even understand it. They found people who did, but now they act like they define car culture. So you got to be really careful, you know, what you expect to get out of a TV deal.
1: Well, the problem is now, though, it's, it's not about the cars. It's about the... Oh, arguing yeah. drama you know, if you're not perhaps. dropping
3: glass with the cut off sleeves and tattoos and yelling at your son right. um you're not gonna make it there the format now is just ridiculous some yeah. of the shows i like a lot of them i just can't watch and i don't want to yeah. be a purist or a snob about it a lot of these guys i know and they do good work but the way they're presented on tv to me is not building their image. It's not helping them
2: no
3: and a lot of them. well chip said it all along i'm not going to build cars for tv i'll build cars that are on tv and I loved his analogy. And I use this one all the time. He says, you know, when you go to Universal Studios and you go on the little tram tour and you go through the cities and all the buildings, they all look like, look like cool buildings, right? When you go around the back of them, they're all held up with sticks. That's how most cars are built for TV. Yeah. True. He says, I'm not going to build cars like that. Because they let have to survive on the shot. It's a one and done. And boom, that image lives on forever when the paint was nice and shiny and wet. And you didn't realize that it wasn't painted right. It wasn't cured right was a mass strike or whatever it might be, the welds weren't good or whatever, they just throw it together and get it to roll. And, and, and some guys are okay with that, great. But, And I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm not mentioning any names, obviously. But if that's where you're going, again, you're going to decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And then think about this, too. Chip very carefully created a vault of drawings, sketches, photography, cars, and everything. He wants to make sure what he does, he can own. And he'll share the rights if he has to but he can own and control it so he can justify how the use is done and make some money because, frankly, building cars, there's not a lot of money to be made building cars. There's a a lot of ways to lose money building cars. Mm -hmm. And so that is kind of a lesson for people getting into the field too is kind of define soon what aspects you want to put control on and what aspects you're willing to give up control on.
1: Well, Brian, you made a good – a good an, or a um, observation about about guys who win uh, the big awards and stuff, and how the next year or a year after that, even how they're hurting for business because people think that they're way you know overpriced or yeah. or or yeah. unobtainable. You know,
0: there, there's yeah. that weird perception. Yeah, you yeah. you suddenly elevate yourself into that weird zone where I don't know. You put you wind up kind of on this pet, this pedestal and. You're mm-hmm. still the same shop you were before you showed up at Detroit and got that grade eight or that Riddler winner. But people don't perceive it that way. They go, oh, all, all they build are, you know, million plus dollar
3: cars. Yeah. And the same thing happened with overhauling where everybody was calling Chip Foose saying, hey, can I get a car in a week?
0: Yeah. Say, yeah. That's the opposite. At <laughs> least of, yeah. Chip's yeah. got that. Tim Strange had that. Mm-hmm. After his show, that was that whole, he still gets calls from people wanting people, <laughs> people to come yeah. down and restore their car for free.
2: Yeah,
0: and that's I I couldn't. Oh my gosh, that's way too hard. I mean I, well then again, kind of think about though. I never get that call from someone who says, "Hey, I saw one of your shirts that somebody used your stolen artwork on, and uh, <laughs> could could you, could you draw a penis on my shirt?" <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but I can do it on your forehead. I, I, speaking of Sharpie, I just <laughs> need one, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, it
0: all tied together beautifully. Um you know, well, I was just going to make my reality show pitch. Too. I have a great idea. It's it's part Hollywood squares, part just regular automotive reality show. But uh, we'll hold that for later because Can, we'll... can
2: I be Paul
3: Lynn? Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want uh-huh. Alex to be our uh, our Gilbert Gottfried.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Perfect, if you say I'm Lurie Anderson, I'm gonna kick you right. <laughs> in
0: I would never go there too easy dude i no, I can't bring myself to make a joke like that. Ah, <laughs> <shit. Fooling. laughs> really? you've got much better teeth, dude oh. Uh, <laughs>
2: So, I guess okay. In, so, in parts, it's hard the right. What was that? I said, in Louis, parts his hair on the right. No oh yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: gee, <laughs> Louis has hair to part. <laughs> what? And, no, I've got plenty of back hair, but I parted on the left. It. Well, it
3: here's work. here's what my brother says, who's completely bald. Every man's born with the same amount of hormones. You want to waste yours on hair?
2: Wow. <laughs> oh, nice. <my. laughs> <Sorry. laughs> That's a great thing to <laughs> Well played. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I like it.
0: (laughs) So, all right, then. So we covered a ton of ground here. Um, I I guess then wrapping this sucker up for for anyone listening, obviously protect yourself.
3: Yeah, I mean, first thing is, like we talked about, not to be redundant, but make sure you understand what services you're providing and what they expect from you, how it's going to be used, and, and write that down and document it. And you can just do it in bullet point. It's better to have something written down than nothing. Should you ever ever have to defend it, even if you have to make the call and say, "Look, on the invoice it says I did artwork for you for a T-shirt. I noticed now you're using it for a business card. That's not really fair to me. I did it for a single purpose. You're using it for multiple purpose. I, I should be paid a little more money." It's always really difficult to go back and ask for more money. We know after work's been done. And if you find that one opportunist who just wants to be, you know, you know, aggressive and in confrontation with you, you're probably not going to do well. But The thing that I find is it then with a contract and with an understanding of what you're doing, frankly, what it does is it profiles you as a little different than the average guy. And it also matches you up with people in the business that are like-minded. So if I'm dealing with a big, big company, they understand we have contracts that are multiple pages and lots of conditions and have certificate of insurance and indemnification and insurance and breach clauses and sell-off periods because I've done this before. And so what I don't like is when I'm dealing with the big company and they go, oh, we don't do that. Well, wait, aren't you the guys who have the NASCAR contract? Yeah. And you have a Harley Davidson contract. Oh, that's just a handshake. Really? So what you'll find is as you start adapting better business practices, believe it or not, your business will adjust to a higher threshold. You'll deal with people that are more respectful of your time, more understanding of the value you create, and more willing to reward you. But if you don't, adapt to that you're kind of stuck in a system you can't get out of and you'll always be the guy who's being taken advantage of
2: it's funny, funny. i gotta i gotta i gotta talk about uh well we were doing the uh the artwork uh, for the pinstriping pieces mm-hmm. for uh mm-hmm. disney mm-hmm. and uh the original price was thrown out there and it's like okay here's the deal you know it's going to be x amount and there'll be like one or two revisions and we'll go right. from there it's like okay so you know 27 revisions later Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah i went Hey, after about the fifth one, it's was like, we need to kind of refigure something out here. I know right. we told them this, but they keep changing things. Right. I'm throwing ideas at them. They're going, well, let's do this and this and this, like, which is fine. But come on, I'm the only one out of anything right now. So, you know, and you were wonderful because you made it all right. I mean, it was awesome. But, well, yeah, uh, I mean,
3: initial contract was a certain amount of activity, a certain amount of hours to a specified outcome. Very clear. It's Disney. They write great contracts. And because they work with artists and designers and imagineers more, their contracts are frankly more favorable to contractors in those categories. So they're they're one of my favorite people to work with. But yeah, we got there. You guys started doing the work, and the cool thing was between Emily uh, O'Brien and Kathy Magnum and Chip, they saw more opportunity. They saw more that could be done because of what you were doing. Then they realized how efficient it was, and what they were getting was additional value. And so they went, "Wow, we need to do more hours. We need to do more to this." There were some changes. But they saw more so then it went from just doing ramones to ended up being inside the main ride and then it went from being inside the ride to chip supplying colors for the vehicles then it went to artwork then it went to and so the funny thing was when it was finally over and done kathy magnum um who we worked with who worked with who's just the greatest person to do well she's retiring at the end of this year um was just the greatest person to work with said absolutely yeah she was just awesome she said look here's a deal I'm just going to keep adding hours on this existing PO until you're done. We don't need to go with further definition. We've got definition. We need to get this done. You are the guys we want to work with. Just make it right. But you never would have gotten to that point had you not gone through the contract part of them understanding we understood the business needs first. So Disney would never just say, hey, you guys, we've never worked with before. Go inside that ride and do what you think is right, and we'll see if we like it. We only got to that point because we went through about three or four iterations and in, in additions to the basic agreement. Then we built so much confidence with them by the work you guys were doing, the way it was handled. They just went, look, we don't have to watch you guys. We know everything you're doing is right. Just do it. Mm-hmm. So that, that was one of those deals. that was really, really awesome.
2: Yeah. It, we did kind of have free reign. I mean, that was kind of it was the cool, deal. It?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was, do whatever, uh, do your thing.
3: It's pretty cool to be able to put the booties on and walk through the ride. <laughs> yeah. Walking in place. People aren't supposed to walk, and I mean, and then there, and then the cool thing was, unlike some other clients and other people previously mentioned that I won't repeat, repeat, they would ask all of us, "What do you think about this? We're thinking of doing this. Is that right to car culture? Is this how this would be done? If he did this, would it be doing it like this? If this car was a character, would he express himself this way?" And so we know that the Ramones shop, the way John Lasseter explained it to Chip, would be almost like if Chip was that character. What would be in that shop? How would it be expressed? Even though Cheech Marin had a more ethnic spin on it, which was appropriate to lowriders and the graphics, it made sense. He wanted to understand if it was a real shop and a real person, how would it be expressed? And that's why, and I love telling the story, that's why it says Flo on the wall. Because that wasn't, remember Brad, that was not part of the original plan. That wasn't part of the original sketches. That kind of happened organically, that if Flo was Ramon's girlfriend, he and and Ramon was a graphic artist and pinstriper, he'd paint his girlfriend's name on the wall somewhere.
2: Mm-hmm. And it wasn't laid out even, or it just was like, put it right here. I mean, it was yes. just a yeah. the spot of the wall. There was yeah. no layout to it at all.
3: But as sequential and, and scheduled and, and, and precise as Disney is, you don't get to that point in a contract with them unless you've won them over. And that and that led to art deals for Chip, doing prints and paintings and other things, collectibles um, we still have ongoing agreements with them, and they're still, they're still probably one of my favorite clients. And then my family has a connection there, too, so it's kind of cool to go there and see things that we worked on. Or, and there's the funny story is go and visit my paint cans, you know, that kind of thing. It's always kind of fun. And you go and visit your paint box. So. Right? Yeah. yeah. So So, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. That, and so, in that regard, here, for just taking it back to the topic at hand of intellectual property, we knew from the beginning there was no intellectual property for us to be had in doing that work. We knew we were work for hire. They paid us well. The difference was we got recognition. They did some social media. They did a couple interviews. They did some postings about it. It was in the paper. It was at D23. Uh, they expressed who these guys were, mentioned them by names in articles. So that part was pretty cool. That part, because we didn't own it outright. But, I mean, we can't go to Disney and say, oh, you know, I put that pinstripe up there. I put that name there. I did this graphic. I own it outright. I want a licensing fee. That, that's not going to work for their environment. They're Disney, the world's largest marketing, media, and entertainment company in the world. So our payback was not just being paid monetarily, but the recognition and the cool factor of saying, yeah, that was us. That was, that was Brad. That was Dennis. That's Jeff. That's Styles. That's Chip. That's all of us who worked on that together. That's, that's a big part of the payoff.
2: Yeah, it was a great thing.
3: Definitely was.
0: You know, I think that's a whole different episode, though, grooming – relationships with, you know, clients and things like that. I'd love to go back to that at some point, because that's another great thing I think we could expand upon.
3: And and, and I'm happy if you need to call me back on anything, because, I mean, this is what my company does is, if you see me negotiating contracts with Disney, you think I'm a contract negotiator. If you see me doing licensing with MHT Wheels, you think I'm a licensing guy. If you see me writing contracts for Chip for overhauling, you think I'm a TV agent. Really, our company is brand management. And it's just that, is how do you build your career, figure out what your assets are, how they're expressed, what you think you're expressing, what people out there in the real world looking back at you see, measuring any discord or things that aren't equal in that regard, and project your image in a way that builds your business and secures your future and makes you a little bit of money. That's And that's the part I love the best. Um, because that's that's the overarching umbrella of what we do. That's brand management. It's it's the management of the brand and, and what, how it's expressed, what you do, what you don't do, how your contracts work, what your skill set is. And I'm I'm no knucklehead. I'm i believe me, I'm not I'm not full of myself. I always say the same thing, and it's the truth. You'd have to be a real idiot to screw up Chip Foose. I
2: mean, <laughs> you'd have to really
3: be. So I'm just lucky that he you know, he asked me first, you know. <laughs> Awesome. I
0: speaking of him, I'll let you get back and return his phone call and okay. I uh, man, I can't thank you enough and on behalf of, you know, whoever might be listening here, thank you for for decide, you know, for coming on with us kind of last minute here and making this a really timely episode. Uh, man, you the wisdom you have imparted I, I hope is viewed as, as valuable to someone starting out or even already in the industry as it really is. I really appreciate it, Carson.
3: Well, thanks. Yeah, and I don't know if I provided like a, you know, clinical information or like a like a symposium kind of information on trademarks and patents and what you do in the steps and stuff like that. Um, frankly, a lot of what I try to do is not transactional. That I'm giving them something. I try to do things that are more transformative, where it kind of creates an idea of an approach or a methodology. Well, exactly. Um, I think that's a better influence for me than, I mean, I could do the tactical stuff and the steps A, B, C. It's kind of dry. It's kind of boring. You know I mean? It's, you know, fill out the form, do this, do you know, and we could talk about that at a later date. But I don't think that's where the real value is. I think it's adjusting people's thinking and and, and having them understand they can transform themselves and correct things they want to take care of, make new things, do new things, create new adventures. Um, and it can go beyond transactions and it can be transformed <laughs>
0: well definitely and and I think I think the way it was handled here was the best way to go about that um uh, you know again, it's a creative industry and and people for for life, people need to be able to think for themselves, yes, as much as I want this this podcast to add as much value as possible, I think it adds more value if you're in there and investing your time, your energy, and your mental capacity to find the solution they 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 have the tools I think in this episode to really go out there and get a great start and a foothold. Yeah, and, and I can't thank you enough for that because, like we talked about before, we didn't want to give just a full on tutorial. Yeah, you know it's Monday. We want you to sit down Monday morning at nine a.m. <laughs> yeah. and do yeah, this.
3: Open your, open your book just uh, to page three.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That well, we'll 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 offer that later on. That'll be yeah. over on you to me. We can handle that sucker. <laughs> but uh, no, I I think this was. Probably the best way to do it, and I've got to say, you know, I, again, thank you because I think you're the best in the industry to to give this this talk. And I, I do, I sincerely, you know, it's going to sound like you know hero worship, but I, I appreciate everything that you do for uh, for me and and for this group as a whole.
3: Well, I mean, oh, I get I get uh, as, yes. as much if not more out of it. I mean, for me, it's 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 great. It challenges my thinking. It gives me new problems to try to apply my formulas to and see if the existing formulas work or we need to look at things new. And then I, I'm blessed. I mean, I grew up in car culture, but I never thought I'd be working in car culture. I start like I said, like I told you the story at the beginning. I started out thinking I was going to be a doctor and and worked a number of years in that field, but always had cars. So what I'm doing now. I have friends who tease me and say usually you start a career doing what you love and you end up doing what you hate. You know, I'm not that I hated what I did in the beginning, but man, I way love more now what I'm doing now, but this career, this field didn't exist years ago. So I'm just thrilled to call you guys friends and thrilled frankly that you would even call me and ask for advice. So that that's a bonus to me.
0: Well, thank you and we're proud to keep bringing you the problems. So <laughs> <laughs> I It comes so easy for kind of us, it. dude. We do our best not to. We just hope we make you
2: proud when we're out there. Yeah, so. no, you
3: do, and it's a good dialogue too because it really gets people thinking. And you know, for those entering the, the business and, and wanting to get into this, there's a lot of barriers to entry. Not just skill set, not just learning how to weld and paint and draw and do those things, but the business aspect. And then once you get those two things down, now you got to figure out the client part of it. And so there's so many tough ways, but it's another one of my favorite sayings: is we all start in the same place, the beginning so that's why I'm such a fan of mentoring, because it made a huge difference in my life. And and I understand that at any time, all of us just need one little nudge, one little word of encouragement, one little word of advice, one little resource, one little help here and there. And as silly as it sounds, I mean, I've had people do big things for me and I've had people do small things for me. And I look back and think, man, how did that person just align at the right time? And so. I'm very aware of that, that, you know, we all, we all need help and it's a collective world we live in. You know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty inclusive world and together we can get a lot of cool stuff done and share information. It's like a giant co-op.
0: Right on. Yeah. Again, though, yeah. man, thank you. Yeah, Thanks you're for, welcome. My pleasure. for your time. And man, if, uh, again, let, well, let's, let's try to If, if anyone has questions on this, comments, anything like that. Feel free on the uh, on the show notes. You'll be able to post those there. And mm-hmm. we'll try to continue the dialogue, too, over on the Facebook yeah. page.
3: Yeah, they can post them on on your Facebook page there if that's more convenient. But, yeah, I mean, if for people that have specific questions that we didn't get to, specific executional things or violations or things that happened, all of us will put our heads together and try to give them the best guidance we can.
0: Outstanding. And I'll even try to spell things correctly. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> Well thank, well, thank you. Thank you very much, sir.
3: Yeah, thank you, guys. This was fun. Hopefully, it was informative. We'll find out by how many questions we get later. <laughs> <laughs> That's the good thing about this is you can't fake it. You know, you, you find out real quick if they're interested or not.
0: Oh yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get one or two questions. But so, bro, uh, question I have for you is: I took some of your artwork twelve years ago. <laughs> you got a really smart guy that was on your podcast. Is he going to come after us for that?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, already there. <laughs>
0: In perpetuity. <laughs> Look outside yes. your window.
3: He's hiding in your bushes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, awesome, man.
2: Well, thank you, Carson.
3: Okay, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you guys.
2: Hey, sir. So Have a great me. evening. Thank you very much. All right. Talk to you later. You Take later care. Good night. Bye. Bye.
0: Big thanks again to our, our special guest, Carson Lev, for coming on and uh, showering us with his always invaluable knowledge and uh mm-hmm. thanks again too man for hanging out Dell.
1: oh yeah. yeah um it was Dude. it was awesome i i appreciate you guys having me back now, should, should we now i have to go back to uh to uh wrapping <laughs>
0: should we, uh, how do you keep the paper Roy, on the boat hey wrapping and villaging <laughs> <Right>. wow <Really. laughs> So yeah, it, it had been it had been a number of episodes, and yeah, we, we're not gonna we're not gonna use the hashtag call it a comeback yet, right? No, not yet. Not quite. We'll get you there though.
1: I still have my uh my stint in the pillage people that I have to, have to serve about. <laughs> nice.
0: That'd and be then great. Then Which that's... of the pillage people are you? I'm the one with the <laughs> axe. Oh. <laughs> How come you're not holding it there? No, 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 it's the scent, no, no. Not, not the <laughs> weapon. <laughs>
2: It's just a handle. Uh, that's
1: that's why my eyes are closed because I sprayed it backwards.
0: <laughs> it's a mean-looking Viking. His eyes are all bloodshot. That's no, just the axe <laughs> he yeah. I'm just picturing the Pillage People band. That's
1: that's <laughs> what I was kind of hoping for. Bunch of for. Viking
2: dudes, man. It'd be awesome.
1: That's like war. <laughs> <laughs> but but I appreciate you guys having me back. It was fun.
0: Yeah. Thanks for being here. Oh. It's always good to hear the soothing sound of your voice. <laughs> Tickling the inner part of my ear. <laughs> That's not my voice. <laughs> it's not my ear. What um, <laughs> the hell does that mean? I don't know. If you figure that crap out, yeah, leave us a note. Oh, speaking of notes, uh, yeah, if you get any questions, comments, um, hell, I don't know, suggestions, whatever uh head on over to the website uh www.round6pod.com and uh look for this show it'll be right at the top feel free to click on that and add a comment below you yeah, know and like i said uh same thing over on facebook carson will be kind enough to look in and hopefully give you a hand uh helping out with any questions you may have guys uh man anything else to add no, that was fun. Yeah, well, it was informative. Yeah. Anytime you talk to Carson, it's like getting a lesson. Yeah, he's awesome. Every
2: time. You uh, come away smarter. Every time.
0: At the end of this episode, I am a, uh, a a much more confident in my litigious ability, Brian.
2: I'm a little wiser, and I, uh, I will rely on Brian. Brad? I'm still Alex. And I'm Dell,
1: And I'm the pillage idiot.
0: Thanks again for listening, and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on youtube.com.
3: Just having people understand there's a lot of things they could do to protect themselves early on that aren't highly sophisticated and aren't highly expensive.
1: Do it up. Dude, do it. Oh, and I'm Dell. It takes a pillage. <laughs> yeah, that didn't sound good. Sounds like... And I'm, De- <laughs> <and> I'm Dell.
0: <laughs> ah, crap. Yeah.
1: I've got horns on my head.